Welcome to the Bob Harden Show, bringing you news and commentary to keep you informed and enjoying life on the Paradise Coast. And now, here's your host, Bob Harden. Good morning. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by the good folks at Johnson's Air Conditioning. Johnson's Air Conditioning is Naples' longest established air conditioning company. They do a terrific job. You can find out more by visiting their website. Give them a call, Johnson's Air Conditioning. Com. Also brought to you by Naples Illustrated, bringing you infinite luxury lifestyles. The website is NaplesIllustrated.com. We have terrific guests for today's show, including Kathleen Pasadomo, our state senator. We'll visit with Boo Mortensen. She's up in Madison, Wisconsin. Regular guest, always entertaining and interesting. We'll visit with Seton Motley, the founder and president of Less Government. And Ishmael Hernandez is the founder and president of of the Freedom and Virtue Institute. Such an interesting, interesting guy. Uh, and uh, so we're going to hear his story about uh, the Freedom and Virtue Institute, and maybe we'll have a talk about institutional racism. It is July the 7th, and on the t- this day in 1865, Mary Surratt, now who's Mary Surratt? Well, she was executed. She was hanged by the neck by the U.S. government for a role as a conspirator in the Abraham Lincoln assassination, she owned a tavern in Surrattsville, which is now Clinton, Maryland, had to convert her row house to a, in, in Washington, D.C. into a word, uh, boarding house as a result of financial difficulties. Located a few blocks from Ford's Theater, where Lincoln was murdered, this house served as a place where a group of Confederate supporters, including John Wilkes Booth, conspired to assassinate the president. It was Surratt's association with Booth that ultimately led to her conviction, though debate continues as to the extent of her involvement and whether it was really warranted in such a harsh sentence to be hung, to be hanged by the neck. On the day of the assassination, Booth asked Surratt to deliver a package which was later discovered to contain firearms to her old tavern in Maryland. On her way home, she ran into John Lloyd, a former Washington police officer who currently leased the tavern. When authorities first questioned Lloyd about the encounter, he did not mention anything significant and denied that Booth and David Herod had visited his tavern. Yet when questioned later, he claimed that Surratt had told him to have whiskey and weapons ready for Booth and Herod, uh, who would be stopping uh, by that night. Louis Weishman, who was of alleged conspirators who delivered the package with Surratt, was released after he testified against her. He later claimed that the government had forced him to testify and that it plagued his conscience for the rest of his life. Furthermore, Lewis Powell, a conspirator who was hanged but with Surratt, proclaimed her innocence to his executioner minutes before his death. Many expected President Andrew Johnson to pardon Surratt because the U.S. government had never hanged a woman. The execution was delayed until this afternoon, and the soldiers were stationed on every block between the White House and Fort McNair, the execution site, to relay the expected pardon, but the order never came. Ever since her death, numerous sightings of Mary Surratt's ghost and other strange occurrences have been reported around Fort McNair, a hooded figure in black bound by hands and feet, as Surratt had been uh, seen moving about. Several children of soldiers have reported a lady in black who plays with them, Mary Surratt hanged for participating in the conspiracy to kill President Abraham Lincoln. An amazing story. Maybe a rush to judgment. Who knows? Well, 57 new cases of COVID-19 yesterday. The county's uh, death toll stands at 85. 
That's Collier County now. A total number of confirmed COVID cases in Collier has increased to 5,076 as of yesterday with 37,583 tests. 352 people in Collier County have been hospitalized, although uh, many have been released. We don't have the number on how many have been released. It's, it's an important number, I think. So uh, Florida Education, in this related uh, matter, uh, Florida Education Commissioner Richard Corcoran issued an emergency order yesterday requiring all schools to open in the fall and laying out the requirements districts must meet to offer any sort of non-traditional remote instruction in addition to their in-person option. Here's a quote. All schools... Uh, boards and charter school governing boards must open brick-and-mortar schools in August at least five days per week for all students, the announcement sta states. Local health officials can override the commissioner's directive if it is not a safe to open a school due to COVID-19, but Monday's announcement makes it clear that districts have to prepare to open their doors to all students in August. And while the health officials could deem schools unsafe as long as they're not widespread shutdowns, it could be a tough call to single out any school. Under the directive, school boards must prepare to reopen physical buildings in August for all students full-time. Uh, school districts cannot shift to a hybrid model where students spend half their time in school and half at home. Every student must have the option of being in school five days a week. The only option for schools is not to be physically open in August is if a local health department or official said schools cannot open. The Department of Education will not be waiving the minimum number of instructional hours for students, and schools must provide all services they normally do. In the fall, schools can offer a remote learning option in addition to in-person learning, but those plans must be approved by the state and must be far more robust than they were last spring. Well, good for uh, Commissioner Cochran, Corcoran for uh, issuing. I will talk to uh, Kathleen Pasadomo here in a few minutes about this, but I think this is an important, important decision. Uh, in just a position here, uh, New York Governor Andrew Cuomo said yesterday that the decision has not been made on whether the schools across the state will reopen this fall after being corona, uh, closed because of the virus. So uh, I just really salute the governor, the commissioner of education for making this decision. By the way, as a side note, coronavirus deaths in the county, or in the country, I should say, have nearly reached a level where the virus will cease to qualify as an epidemic under the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention Rules, the federal agency reported on Friday. The welcome news comes uh, as fear over a second wave of the virus has gripped the U.S., with some states experiencing fresh surges of COVID-19 along with increased hospitalizations. Though infections are significantly up in some places, deaths throughout the country, let me just underscore this, have remained flat, due likely to several factors, including a younger cohort of infections as well as improved treatment methods. So... Uh, while with fanning the flames of fear, of course, across you, know, you read in the papers what's going on, more and more cases and so forth. But again, uh, Center for Disease Control and Prevention Rules, no longer an epidemic. Interesting. Well, the state abolitionist Frederick Douglass was toppled. A statue of uh, Frederick Douglass was toppled in Rochester, New York on Sunday, dragged 50 feet, left on the brink of the Genesee River Gorge, according to police. The statue was torn down from where it stood inside Maplewood Park, a site alongside the Underground Railroad where Douglass, Harriet Tubman, and other abolitionists helped shuttle slaves to freedom. 
The crime occurred on 168th anniversary of Douglas's famous 1852 speech, Where to the Slave is the Fourth of July. Douglas escaped slavery in 1838 and settled in Rochester, uh, New York, for three decades. It is particularly painful that it happened at this time, said Carvin Eisen, a leader in the effort to bring the memorial to the city. The damage to the statue is too great for it to be repaired. This is just abs- This is insane. Frederick Douglass was actually a counselor to presidents. He made himself a millionaire. He learned to read when it was against the law, basically. Uh, it was against the law for, for uh, slaves to learn to read uh, during the time of slavery. And uh, nevertheless, he did learn to read. He went on to do great things, become a millionaire in terms of today's dollars. He didn't accumulate that that amount of money back then. But in today's dollars, he would have been a millionaire several times over. And, of course, he spoke out about the importance of freedom of the Declaration of Independence and the Constitution. He was a great man. And uh, this uh, for these people who destroyed this statue i mean they just demonstrating their ignorance and how stupid they are without understanding the history of what's going on well the supreme court if you may have heard this already on monday upheld state laws requiring that chosen those chosen for the electoral electoral college uh, to back the popular winner in their state presidential race, a rebuke of a group called the, the so-called faithless presidential electors in Washington and Colorado, who sued uh, after they were sanctioned for voting contrary to the pledges they, were took, they took before becoming electors. So this is an important decision. There were 10 electors uh, who voted against their commitment. Their, you know, when we vote, uh, we're really voting for electoral college members uh, who will up, uphold people when we go to vote for a presidential candidate. It's a technicality, but it's part of the Constitution. And uh, the Supreme Court upheld nine to nothing. It was an important decision. So what they, electors can still violate their pledge, and if they do, they're going to have to face the punishment uh, from uh, their state, whatever it might be. In one case, one was uh, removed. In another case, they were fined. Well, right now, the Supreme Court says, and that's okay. Here's a, Elena Kagan, Supreme Court Justice, said the Constitution's text and the nation's history both support allowing a state to enforce an elector's pledge to support his party's nominee and the state voter's choice for the president. Congratulations to the Supreme Court on getting this one right. So we haven't heard much from uh, good old Sleepy Joe, as he's called by President Trump. And uh, he's still got a lot of things that he's got to deal with. Uh, Kind of interesting. We'll talk about this a little bit later in the show. Coming up, we're going to be visiting with Kathleen Pasadomo, our state senator. That more right here in the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. I'm Bob Harden, the host of The Bob Harden Show. One of my favorites for breakfast or lunch is Lulabee's Diner, providing great service, fabulous food, and a rockin' good time. Lulabee's Diner is a throwback to the 60s, complete with great music and a fabulous 60s decor. 
What I like best is a blend of great food, great value, and terrific service. Most of the friendly waitstaff has been part of Lulabee's for years. I enjoy the great choices for breakfast and lunch, and you'll find the menu has everything and anything to satisfy your taste. Lulabee's offers catering, party platters, lunch boxes, and more. Lulabee's Diner will quickly become one of your favorites for breakfast or lunch. No reservations are needed. Check out the website at lulabee's.com and stop by Lulabee's Diner, open from 8 a.m. until 2 p.m. seven days a week. Lulabee's Diner in the Green Tree Shopping Center at the corner of Immokalee and Airport Pulling Roads. Stop by Lulabee's Diner for fabulous food and for a forever cool rockin' good time. Gulf Shore Playhouse, devoted to creating professional New York-style theater at its very best and at affordable prices, presents a fabulous new season of productions beginning in November with a world premiere of a one-man show written by and starring the talented associate artistic director of Gulf Shore Playhouse, Jeffrey Bender. Pinup Girls opens in January, singing a cavalcade of hits inspired by real letters from our troops overseas. Inspired by what they find funny, romantic, heartbreaking, and sexy, the ladies put on a show that celebrate the guys and gals who fight to defend our country. Bang Bang opens in March, written by legendary actor of Monty Python fame, John Cleese. You'll surely be wiping away tears of laughter with this one. William Shakespeare's A Midsummer Night's Dream opens in March. Meddling parents, impetuous young lovers, and cunning fairies collide in Shakespeare's enchanting classic. Another Revolution by Jacqueline Bircher opens in May. You won't want to miss this timely new work about finding hope in one another through the uncertainty of the world around us. What a terrific season of productions. Tickets for this great new season are available now. Tickets start at only $38. Tickets can be purchased by calling the box office at 866-811-4111 or visiting the website golfshoreplayhouse.org. We'll see you at the show. Welcome back to the Bob Harden Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harden. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by Golf Shore Playhouse, bringing you professional New York-style theater at its very best. And season tickets are available now. You don't want to miss these productions. You can go to the website, golfshoreplayhouse.org. Coming up, we're going to visit with Ismail Hernandez. He is the president and founder of the Freedom and Virtue Institute. A terrific story. I'm looking forward to talking with him. Right now, we have with us our state senators, Kathleen Pasadomo. Kathleen, thank you so much for joining us. Good morning. Good morning, Kathleen. So, I mean, uh, right now uh, your legislature is out of session, uh, but uh, Richard Corcoran, who's the commissioner of education, made a big decision yesterday. It's getting national attention, and I'm hearing it's controversial that all schools will be open. They will often offer five days a week for all students on full schedule, and any kind of remote learning is going to have to be approved uh, by the commissioner. What are your thoughts, and are you getting any feedback on this? Well, I've uh, yes, actually, I've, I've gotten a number of emails already, uh, and they're coming in about half and half. Um, many, many people are very concerned about the issue. Um, you know, want want it to be left up <clears throat> to the, the local school districts. Um, don't want to be dictated to that kind of thing. On the other hand, um, the parents who uh, need to get back to work or trying to work uh, and, and are, are um, welcoming the, the um, opening. So 
the question is, is it safe? I think that's the bottom line. Um, I also think that you know, Commissioner Corcoran is in the best position to determine that yeah. because the, uh, the Governor DeSantis' administration, one thing I, have, I can say about him is that he is all data-driven. And so it's Commissioner Cork- Corcoran. So they are looking at all the statistics, compiling all the evidence, um, <clears throat> all of the science, all of the data, and making these decisions. And I think in this case it makes sense. There's also caveats in the, in the order that, you know, of course it's subject to um, Department of Health type guidelines and the like. So mm-hmm. right now, we're, where we are, and also knowing the um, uh, medical issues that, that the bottom line is that uh, children are not as likely to either get the um, COVID-19 or transmit it, Right. they believe uh, Corcoran and the governor, um, because they work together, uh, Department of Education is a, an agency of the executive branch, uh, believe that it will be safer for students to go back to school um, from a health standpoint, and, and uh, first of all, and secondly, from an educational standpoint, because although the distance learning that the students did uh, during you know, the shutdown prior to the end of the school year was helpful, uh, it, it didn't provide the kind of education that, that the majority of students needed. The other thing, though, is that if you have if you have individual students who can make individual decisions, mm-hmm. so parents can homeschool if they are concerned. So this is not like a draconian measure, That's as far right. as I can tell. Yeah, I, I agree with everything you just said. I think it's uh, it's a great decision, and of course they could manage exceptions. As if, uh, parents, they had the right to homeschool all the while. Anyhow, they can do that. Uh, but I think the decision to say, "Hey, you will open, and uh, let's let's get this thing moving." I think it's a great decision. I wonder if we've heard the last word though from the unions. Well, I, you know that's a good that's a good question. Right now, they should be fairly happy because the governor did um, you know uh, keep in place the, the the teacher salary increases. Uh, you know, when he vetoed a billion dollars in the budget, the one thing he did not veto was the teacher um, increases. And that, that was a big deal. Mm-hmm. And it shows his uh, concern for them and, and, and the kind of work that they do. So it would be, to me, and I don't know what the unions are going to say, but it seems to me that uh, you can't have it both ways. You know, we're going to give you uh, a salary increase to celebrate the kind of work you do, but keep doing it. Yeah. yeah. So, and and I guess the other thing is too, if um, the information is correct, and I can't and I can't imagine it's not that that the young people, the kids, um, when I say young people, kids are less likely to contract COVID or to transmit it then there should not be an issue for the teachers. Yeah. Um, and I'm sure there'll be some teachers that might have pre-existing conditions and, and immune deficiencies. You just moved away. We just missed that oh. last couple of sentences there, uh, Kathleen. Well, I, yeah, what I was saying, I would assume that there will be accommodations made uh, for teachers that have immune deficiencies or pre-existing conditions, Um uh, you know, and, and all these things are going to be worked through. Yeah. And again, also, this order is is 
it's subject to change based upon uh, data that comes in. New information, absolutely. So, right. but I, I think putting a, a a line in the sand, putting a stake in, a, in in the ground, and saying this is how we're going to move forward, I think is a great example of good leadership. Where I'm sure there are a lot of questions. Uh, and uh, in fact, the governor of uh, Governor Cuomo in New York said, "You know, we haven't decided yet whether schools are going to open." This is that creates a lot of hang ring, hand wringing for a lot of people. So having having a decision made, okay, we're going to move forward and cope with whatever we have to, I think is a good decision. Well, the other thing is too, New York schools open later, um, so they have a little bit more uh, uh, leeway time. Yeah, good point. Florida schools open in August, so we really don't have much time to. So I think I think the commissioner made a good decision, and the question becomes, you know, time will tell whether it can be implemented fully, partially, with Department of Health issues, mm-hmm. um, but at least. A decision was made so the schools don't hang out in limbo. And that's one of the other things that have been heard heard from some of the superintendents. Like, we just don't know where we're going to be. Now they know, and they can prepare for it. Absolutely. Kathleen Pasadena, again, our state senator. I'm so grateful that you took the time to visit with us. Now, any other good scoop? Before I let you go, any other good scoop uh, what's happening in the state? Well, every day is something different. Yeah. <laughs> but I so just, stay tuned for next week. All right, Kathy. Thank you so much for joining us. Have a great day. You as well. Thank you. All right, coming up, we're going to visit with Boo Mortensen up in Madison, Wisconsin. Probably a little different flavor of what's happening up there. We're going to do that and more right here on the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harton Show here on the Bob Harton Broadcasting Network. Blue Provence Restaurant is a favorite dining destination for many Neapolitans, including Linda and myself. Blue Provence, located in a historic building in the heart of Old Naples at Creighton Cove, offers a mix of French bistro cooking with bold, fresh Floridian flavors. Experience award-winning cuisine at Blue Provence and enjoy one of Florida's most extensive, eclectic, and fun wine cellars. Dining your choice are the popular Eden Bar, the Intimate Courtyard Garden, or the beautiful Provencal Caribbean Dining Room. Enjoy a wonderful and memorable evening in a casual and relaxed atmosphere that includes a taste of Provencal hospitality. Blue Provence is open seven days a week, all year round. Visit BlueProvenceNaples.com for reservations, everyday specials, and coming events. That's BlueProvenceNaples.com or call 261-8239. That's 261-8239. Blue Provence French Restaurant in the heart of Old Naples. Do you have an extra auto you'd like to donate to charity? Maximize your tax deduction, support your favorite charity, and help a local child in need by calling Naples Auto Donation Center. Naples Auto Donation Center is a not-for-profit licensed car dealer. Just call NADC at 692-9840 and they'll take it from there. You get a properly documented tax deduction for whatever the vehicle actually sells for. Your designated beneficiary charity gets half the profit after fix-up costs and the net revenue generated by NADC 
goes to Friends of Foster Children to provide tutoring and other enrichment activities for foster children the government doesn't provide. And NADC is also one of the few places in Collier County that sells inexpensive cars that actually run to folks who would otherwise not be able to afford one. It's a real win-win. Call Naples Auto Donation Center at 692-9840 or visit the website nadckids.com. You'll be glad you did. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by the Foundation for Government Accountability, creating policies and programs to get able-bodied folks off of welfare and back to work. More important now than ever, and you can find out more by visiting the website, thefga.org. Coming up, we're going to visit with Seton Motley, the founder and president of Less Government. Right now we have with us Boo Mortensen. It's time to find out what's new with Boo up in Madison, Wisconsin. Boo, how are you doing? Well, you know, I think I'm doing the same as everybody else. I, I think we're just, you know, we're tired of all of this, the fatigue. I think, you know, I, I don't even turn on the newspaper or turn on the uh, news on TV anymore. I, I think people are just, like, exhausted. There's just been so much stuff that's been thrown at everybody, so much adversity, so much anger, uh, again, the uncertainty about the virus, and you're just kind of like, oh, my gosh. Mm. You know, we need some good news. Isn't that the case? I mean, uh, to me, uh, it's uh, it's just hanging on so long. You can't we move on, and uh, it's uh, just that constant fear. Of course, and, and then you have it's, I'm, it's not even a subtle thing. There's just kind of a sense of uh, irritability, or people are just very un- generally angry and irritable. Is the way I perceive most people. They just uh, say have a chip on their shoulder. Yes, and you you don't know why. Mm-hmm. You know, maybe it's a flagging economy. <clears throat> uh, yeah, everybody has kind of a low-grade, pissed-off attitude. Right, I agree with that. Well, uh, hopefully. So uh, how's the statue toppling and uh, anger and mob stuff going on up there in uh, Madison, of course, the very liberal well, place? Well, I'll tell you, it's very, uh, it's very quiet, um, surprisingly. But I... I uh, not to think that this is going to go away. These troublemakers will resurface. Yeah. <clears throat> Maybe they're thinking up new things to destroy, but right now, it's very quiet. It's also, we have incredibly hot weather. Uh, we've got Florida hot weather. Wow. Well, Wisconsin Which typically. Which is unusual. Yeah, typically it's just one of the most beautiful places in the world in the summertime. So low humidity, sparkling, just beautiful, beautiful weather. So yeah. it's kind of unusual. It's hot. All right, so I'm going to give you a test because I have come across, it's called the nine Enneagram types. So I'm going to read off the different types and you tell me what category you're in. All right. Uh, And they give you three descriptions, two are positive and one is negative. The perfectionist is conscientious, self-controlled, critical. The helper is generous, empathetic, controlling. The performer is goal-oriented, dynamic, calculating. The romantic, idealistic, creative, moody. The investigator, analytical, self-reliant, detached. The loyalist, dutiful, diligent, defensive. The enthusiast, playful, adaptive, impulsive. That would be me. The challenger, intense, self-assured, 
combative. And nine, the peacemaker, accepting, steady. Wow. Uh, so and I, I, you're asking me to select one of those nine categories. Well, mm-hmm. uh, uh, so the, the... Would you say the investigator? Self-reliant, detached? No, that would not be me, I don't think. Uh, I mean, uh, as you read these off, you think, well, you, you have some of those qualities of each of those things. But if there's a predominant uh, area, I would say it's either performer or... What did you say, what did you, say you yeah, are? Yeah, performer, goal-oriented, dynamic, calculating. Yeah, well, what did you say that you thought you were? I've forgotten that. Me? Uh, enthusiast, Enth- playful, adaptable, impulsive. Well, I see that in me as well. So uh, I'm m- maybe a combination. Can you have a combination of the two? You know, I think I think it's one or the other, but obviously some more. You know, I would say that impulsive is probably a dominant theme in my life. Hmm. You know. Um, a lot of decisions I made have been impulsive decisions. So kind of a ready, you know, most of them ready, shoot, aim type of thing. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. Someone says let's go skydiving, and I'm like, count me in, good to go. <laughs> yeah. So I'm probably I'm a, probably a little bit more calculating and uh, planful than that. Uh, I don't make a lot of impulsive decisions. Uh, but uh, you know, it, it's that's such a, interesting. And of course, uh, do you see yourself in, in in each of those categories? Oh, yeah, I think we have a little bit. You know, we're all blends of yeah. things, and so I think you have to think about what are you, you know, uh, like somebody that's that's suited for a desk and, and, like, counts everything and is real diligent about, you know, detail-oriented. That is not me. Me either. Uh, in fact, uh, my mind actually uh, jumps from one thing to the other constantly. <laughs> I have so many different uncompleted tasks all the time because if, for whatever reason, I'm just always thinking about a number of things. And so I, I think one, one of the things I can do to improve my own performance is just stay on task and stay focused on what I'm trying to accomplish. It's hard, though, isn't it? It is for me. It really is. And it's, I don't th- see it necessarily as a weakness. It's just a quality that I have, and it's because I'm uh, very curious about a number of things. Well, or you have ADD. Yeah, no, I, that's, that's the other thing. Well, we, <laughs> that's probably the case. Anyhow. Yeah, we could talk about ADD. <laughs> okay, one of the other things that I'm going to jump from, okay. which, um, <clears throat> what do you think about that Jeffrey Epstein's girlfriend that's been... Uh, arrested and the secrets that she has and the people that are bet I bet they're not sleeping well tonight I gotta tell you I love this stuff I mean he was such a terrible terrible person yeah evil and that she facilitated facilitated a lot of it yeah I think there are so many powerful people men particularly that were caught up in that trap uh, at their own volition. Right. I think it should be fascinating. There's nothing like high-quality gossip to lift your spirit. Well, <laughs> so, uh, you know, quite frankly, I think she should be on a suicide watch because I, I, uh, I think she'll probably be murdered. I think there will be an attempt on her life. There's a, no doubt in my mind that she knows a lot of stuff about a lot of people. I just can't, And just like Jeffrey Epstein, I think, you know, it's possible that her life could be taken. Well, I think so, but I don't think the Manhattan District Attorney is going to have two people go down on their watch. Yeah. So I think that they probably got 
five people standing around watching her. But, oh, my heavens, the, the stories that she has to tell. Well, and as I understand it, she not only has stories, she has tapes. She has proof, and she, according apparently, is ready to sing in order to make a deal for herself. Oh, see, this is going to be great. This is going to take our minds <laughs> off of the riots and, um, and the virus. It'll just make it juicy for a while. Remember the OJ trial? Yeah. See, I was, that was kind of the same thing, wasn't it? I'm not sure this will be as transparent as that. Of course, that was televised, and I'm not sure this will be. But uh, I think I think she'll probably be, rather than go on trial, I think she'll work out a plea deal of some sort. It will involve a lot of people who will end up going to grand juries and getting indicted for different crimes, I'm quite certain. I bet. Yeah. Wouldn't it be great? Yeah. <laughs> I suppose. Well, uh, one thing for sure. Uh, these young people have been violated, and they do deserve yeah. justice. And so I think the while it's interesting and the, 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 all the gossip and all this type of thing, the other thing is the, the these young people who have been violated, their lives changed as a result of these sick people. It's just unbelievable. I agree. There's a very, very dark side to it. Yep. There's a tragic side to it. And the fact that some, I mean, I read an article yesterday, I think, in Vanity Fair about the nine men that stand to lose a lot if their names are brought up in connection with Epstein. Uh, you know, like one is the president of Harvard, for goodness sake. Summers, Ger uh, Gerald Summers, yeah. Gary, or Larry, um, Larry Summers, and, um, yeah. Yes. You know, shame on them. Yeah. Well. If, if it's true, if it's true, but... Um, it's very salacious. It's just really going to be interesting. Well, the other thing that interests me, too, is that uh, uh, Biden is hiding in the basement. And, uh, you know, in the meantime, there's just a lot of stuff going on around him. You know, he's been, there's apparently up to eight women now who have said, well, you know, he actually violated me at one point when I was uh, working for him. Uh, he, and, uh, you know, this whole thing going on in the uh, Ukraine with uh you know if you don't fire this guy and yeah if you don't fire this guy in five hours i think it was I, i'm not gonna you're not gonna get your a billion billion dollar loan i think it was so i mean I, there's a lot of stuff just hanging around and you know what the press is not focusing on it it's all so corrupt and, and uh, i'm not sure he can survive this entire process never mind get up on the stage and debate president trump i can't imagine how that that's ever going to happen I can't either. Yeah. I can't either. You know, I read uh, the Pew Research and uh, about how people are voting, at least right now, which I don't know how that translates to four months from now. But, you know, 76% uh, of voters that say that they totally support uh, Trump will go to the presidential uh, ballot primarily as a vote for the president, whereas uh, only 33% of the Biden voters will vote specifically for him. Yeah. Most people, twice as many, are are going to view it as a vote against Trump. Yeah, that's so interesting, isn't it? Well, stay tuned. I mean, there's a lot that's going to develop as a result of this. And, of course, the, the choice of the vice presidential candidate, in my theory, and I'll share it with you, I think I've shared it on the show before, is that he's waiting for Michelle Obama to finally say yes. That's who he's waiting for. That's who he wants as his vice presidential candidate. And if elected... Uh, he would resign after he's in, in office for a while, or, you know, 27th Amendment, and President Barack Obama would be our shadow president for four years. 
Well, that's just ducky. <laughs> pretty sick huh <laughs> well i i don't i don't know i i think it would be shocking she doesn't have any political chops on anything um did you read did you read any a portion of her uh, master's thesis it was no, it was word salad it was incomprehensible <laughs> she she got got her master's degree as a result anyhow boo it's always a pleasure to find out what's on your mind thank you so much for joining us my pleasure. I have a great day. All right, coming up, we're going to visit with Seton Miley. Change directions a little bit. Boo's always a little bit lighter side of the show, and I enjoy it so much. Now we're going to visit with Seton Miley, the founder and president of Less Government. That and more right here on the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. For the best in food and drink, as well as great live entertainment, go to the Dog 2 Sports and Music Bar. Formerly known as Weekend Willie's, the Dog 2 Sports and Music Bar has terrific new local owners offering a great new upscale decor and a fabulous new menu. Linda and I are weekly regulars to hear live blues, but you can stop by anytime for great food and drink, to watch your favorite sporting event, or to hear great live entertainment five nights a week. The Dog 2 Sports and Music Bar is located at 5310 Shirley Street, just off Pine Ridge Road. And it's open from 11 a.m. until close every day. Visit the website dogtoothnaples.com or call 431-7004. That's 431-7004. I hope we'll see you there. Did you know St. Matthew's House operates the only emergency homeless shelters in Collier County? St. Matthew's House provided more than 500,000 hot meals to those in need last year, and since 2010, 527 men and women have graduated from the St. Matthew's House Justin's Place Addiction Recovery Program. For over 30 years, St. Matthew's House has provided innovative solutions to fight homelessness, hunger, substance abuse, and poverty in Southwest Florida. And you can help St. Matthew's House in this life-transforming work by patronizing the St. Matthew's House Thrift Stores, Cafe M25, Car Wash and Detailing Center, and award-winning catering operations. For more information, visit stmatthewshouse.org. That's stmatthewshouse.org. St. Matthew's House is a 501c3 not-for-profit organization and does not solicit government funding. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by Golf Shore Playhouse, bringing you professional New York-style theater at its very best. Get tickets now by visiting the website golfshoreplayhouse.org. Coming up, we're going to visit with Ishmael Hernandez. He's the founder and president of the Freedom and Virtue Institute. Right now, we have the Seton Motley. Seton is the founder and president of Less Government. Seton, thank you so much for joining us. Good morning, sir. How are you? I'm well. Tell us about Less Government. Yeah, we exist to reduce the size, scope, and sphere of influence of government. We were doing okay until this fake China virus freakout. Well, you know what? It's it's a big market, uh, getting less government, so uh, <laughs> keep up the good work, Seton. So uh, you, you, you focused on something that I think is pretty darn important when it comes to how laws get made and what's going to happen with regard to our economy. It's our do-nothing Congress means do-too-much California is making national law. Maybe you can tell us about it. Yeah, it's it's 
the default of the economy. Um, California's GDP is huge, and what people an important point to make is GDP by itself is not a helpful statistic. California's GDP has grown because they've imported millions of third world immigrants mm-hmm. who make no money, but the little money they make adds to the GDP. But you know, a third world immigrant who makes twenty grand a year in California obviously can't live on twenty grand a year in California. So he gets tons of government money. So he's a net negative, even though the GDP went up. What you need to look at is GDP per capita, and that's been crippled by California's open borders policy. Mm-hmm. But the point is, even though it's ridiculous to have gotten that big, they are that big. And so they dictate policy de, de facto on a lot of different things because if you want to, because when the left wing government says you've got to do it this way or we're not going to buy it, well, that dramatic, it's, well, they're one seventh of the entire economy. Absolutely. So and that's going to warp what you do as a business, um, whether it's school textbooks, whether it's, um, you know, uh, stupid regulations for, uh, you know, ethanol and cars and, and electric vehicles and solar panels and, and all, the, all, the, all the leftist stuff. Yeah. So what we've got in Congress now, I think this is an unspoken thing, but I think it's true. You've got a lot of Democrats who are happy to do nothing in Cong- in D.C. because then California is basically setting the national policy agenda. See, that's such an important point, uh, Seton. I mean, you just think about it. If, if, for example, California sets higher standards for mileage and for carbon emissions and so forth, uh, you know, automaker can't say, well, we're just going to ignore California as a market. They have to, they're going to obviously make all cars to meet that standard so they have California as part, part of the market. And then what are they going to do, make cars for other states? No, they're not. They're going to... No, I mean, it, yeah. So, so, you know, and this is... This is true right now of, on the Internet. Uh, the Internet in 30 years, Congress is, of, of private sector Internet, Congress has never passed a law regarding how companies have to handle our data. Never, never passed a law. So in June of 2018, Gavin Newsom, governor of California, signed a, a really overreaching. I mean, I'd like our data to be controlled a little bit, you know, have a little more control over it. But this is just way too much government, because Shocker is from California. And they signed it into law in 2018, uh, June of 2018. But at the behest of the Congress, uh, Internet service providers, the big tech companies, because this is obnoxious all the way across the board for big tech companies and for Internet service providers, um, they all said, would you... Would you please put a pause on enforcing the law you've signed into, you know, that you signed until Congress passes a federal law? Because as we realize, we realize that the California law is going to be the de facto national law. Right. Well, two years later, July 1st of 2020 came and went, and Congress still hadn't passed a privacy law. Mm. So California started enforcing theirs. And again, it's going to become the default de facto uh, national law, and it's 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 a terrible it's a terrible bill. Uh, it's, can you can you describe it in any way, or let us know? Well, it's just it's you've got to look. I hate what Google does. I hate what. 
Facebook does. I hate what these companies do. They've made trillions of dollars on our data mm-hmm. without any control whatsoever. You know, you sign, you know, you get the twenty-page disclaimer, and you click OK. I accept. Yep. Um, the, the, this would grind everything on the internet to a halt. Every step along the way. You, you know, you're starting to see it now on websites. You go to each individual website you're going to, you have to click on something, right? right. I accept, or this, this website has cookies or all that. Well, this is like that times a thousand. Hmm. So every time you go anywhere, oh, we're collecting data here, and it just becomes, and then, it, you know, and then the, tra- I'm for transparency. The transparency requirements are too, too much of a thicket. Where you, have, you know the, the companies have to report everything they're doing on a, on an ongoing basis to uh, the consumer to us. Now I, again, I love transparency. I'd like to get some more, but this is going from zero to one hundred and twenty. You know, in two seconds. Yeah. And again, it impede. How many websites do you go? You know, I mean, when I write a piece, I've got to go to three dozen, four dozen websites. Am I going to have to deal with that constantly, yeah. all the time? Every website, every time I change browser uh, windows, you know, it's just, it's absurd. So there, there is a happy, in fact, John Thune's bill, there's a bipartisan bill in the Senate. Uh, John Thune, the senator from South Dakota, the Republican, has a good bill. It's bipartisan, it's reasonable, an important thing, it treats big tech companies and ISPs equally before the law, because some of these laws, that, like Maine passed the law, that only applies to ISPs and not to big tech companies, which is like t- the offense and defense on a football team telling the kicker he's on the field too much. Um, <laughs> ISPs collect a tiny fraction of the data yeah, yeah. Um, big tech companies do. Um, just as an example, the ISP knows you went to you know www.website.com. That's all they know. Google knows you went on website.com. Every aisle you went up in the online store, what items you looked at and put back on the shelf, what items you picked up and put in your cart, they know all of that. ISPs know none of that. So to have a law that only applies to ISPs is absurd. Yeah. That's... But again, there's a, there's a balanced bill. It's been, you know, Thune's had it since I think at least 2017, and they just, it, it can't move. It yeah. can't move. Everything's in uh, stalemate right now. Seton Motley, again, the founder yeah. and president of Less Government. And by the way, one of the things I really like about your columns is that you put a lot of links in there about relating inf- information. I think that is really helpful. Uh, you can visit... It, the- also, it also made media matters go away. They, they can't criticize me for quoting the entire World Wide Web. <laughs> okay. Uh, lessgovernment.org is the website. You can also visit Less Government on Facebook. Seton, always appreciate your commentary. Thanks so much for joining us. Thank you, sir. My pleasure, indeed. So interesting. All right, coming up, we're going to visit with Ishmael Hernandez. Just such an interesting background story that he has. He started the Freedom and Virtue Institute, well, I think about eight years ago, and doing very important work to help kids uh, who basically disadvantaged kids make good decisions about becoming entrepreneurs. We're going to do that and more right here on the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network.
Do you or a family member suffer from chronic pain in your knees, hips, or shoulders? Joint pain can be a nagging and serious problem requiring expert and compassionate care. I know I'm Bob Harden, the host of The Bob Harden Show. Until 2006, I was suffering debilitating pain and deformity in my knees. I couldn't enjoy biking or golf or even sleep without chronic pain as a constant companion. Thanks to Dr. George Markovich and the professional staff at the Institute for Orthopedic Surgery and Sports Medicine, my pain is gone, and I'm back to doing the activities I enjoy with no pain. I have a lifestyle I can only imagine. Imagine prior to knee surgery, and you can too. Call the Institute for Orthopedic Surgery and Sports Medicine. They will thoroughly evaluate your condition, provide personalized, state-of-the-art treatment, and help you relieve your pain and get back to your active lifestyle. At the Institute for Orthopedic Surgery and Sports Medicine, your care will be professionally managed through every phase of your recovery. For an initial consultation, call the Institute for Orthopedic Surgery and Sports Medicine, located off Tamiami Trail in Bonita Springs at 482-5399. That's 482-5399. You listen to The Bob Harden Show, so why not market your company to our loyal listeners? Ads are played live on each show and then archived so listeners can hear the show and your ad at their convenience. Each advertising package includes a banner on BobHarden.com with a link to your website at no extra charge. Join Lulabee's Diner, Johnson's Air Conditioning, Blue Provence, and many others who advertise on the show. Call me at 598-3889, that's 598-3889, or send an email to BobHarden at Hotmail.com to design an ad program that's just right for your business and your budget. You'll be pleasantly surprised at the cost and the value. Several advertisers have been with me for years. Find out why by calling 598-3889 or send me an email to bobharden at hotmail.com. You'll be glad you did. Welcome back to the Bob Harden Show. And now here's your host... Bob Harden. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by the Foundation for Government Accountability. Terrific organization. I proudly serve on their board, creating policies and programs to get able-bodied folks off of welfare and back to work. It is a moral imperative, and you can find out more by visiting the website, thefga.org. We have with us, as I mentioned before the break, Ishmael Hernandez. He is the founder and president of the Freedom and Virtue Institute. Ishmael, thank you so much for joining us. It's always a pleasure to be with you, Bob. Thank, uh, you. thank you, Ishmael. I, I must say that you're one of the people that I admire most here on the Paradise Ghost for the great things that you're doing. Uh, tell us about the Freedom and Virtue Institute. Well, we are now in our 10th year anniversary, so we are very very happy to have been in, in, in work for 10 years. And now we are in six different states. Wow. And in the Dominican Republic, we have uh, schools there also. So we are expanding, and our goal is to be in 15 states in the next two years. Wow. So what started 10 years ago with one, one school here in Lee County, South Florida, is now expanding throughout the, the country. And what we basically do is that we bring the ideas of freedom in practical, simple projects uh, that place the poor as 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 the engines of, of their own uh, their own success at the center of action. And uh, uh, we teach organizations through our training on effective compassion, how to work with the poor in effective ways that, that challenge the, the assumptions and the principles of the welfare state, and to find ways to help people help themselves, again, in practical, simple ways because you know when i came to the, the country what really inspired me the most was 
the, there's something in the air of America uh, that is more than just a debate. It's really, it's really the lived experience of freedom that will convince people that there is a better way than, than what we are doing now. It's basically spending and spending and spending more money and taking and taking and taking more money from those who produce to give the, that money to those who don't produce. And that, that just is not going to work, and it has never worked. So that is basically the heart and soul of the Institute, and we are beginning now uh, our uh, part that where we have also a, a research. Yeah. So we will begin our think tank portion in in um, early next week, I mean, next year. Uh, uh, Ismail, I think it's just such an outstanding organization. I hope our listeners will write down this website. It's fvinstitute.org. fvinstitute.org is the website. And Ismail, yesterday I I listened to your uh, podcast on institutional racism. It was so outstanding. You're just really so informative. And so I just appreciate so much you're sharing some of your personal story on that as well. So uh, I just wanted to let remind our listeners, too, that you can uh, find out more. I think I think I've, I got it on, on your website, if I'm not mistaken. Yes, uh, and uh, people can go and look for uh, Freedom and Virtue, the podcast. In wherever you get your podcast, and you will be able to subscribe to to the podcast. We started the podcast about a month and a half ago because we wanted to communicate with people during this crisis of COVID, where sometimes it's more difficult to communicate with people, and face to face encounters were very very difficult. And uh, and the podcast also came out of my own conviction as an ex communist that we need to stop this this trend in America of, of making palatable and mainstream ideas that are radically contrary to what the essence of what it means to be an American. Yeah. And uh, so we, we discuss uh, issues like institutional racism, the one that you heard. Yes. Ishmael, it's just uh, really fascinating and fabulous. Uh, Would you take another moment to focus on the work of the Institute? How old are the kids that are involved in your programs? We we started with the fifth graders. uh, We go all the way to high school, all the way to 12th grade. And we have schools throughout Lee County, about 17 schools. We are hoping to get in in the Naples area, and uh, we are in Milwaukee, in Missouri, we are in New York, we are in Philadelphia. Uh, in Milwaukee, we have several Christian schools where the kids uh, sell products uh, to what we call young entrepreneurs fairs. They learn how to become entrepreneurs. They pitch their products to people, and the money goes into their bank account, and that money is utilized to to buy their school supplies, their uniforms, or whatever other purpose that they cho- choose to, to use the money. We want to create this connection between reward and accomplishment that helps people to be free and to love freedom. Because when people taste freedom, they don't want dependency, even if there is benefit in dependency. And, and that is a lesson that is so simple. But we are losing that lesson. Yeah. Now we have the entitlement lesson that is destroying the character of the nation. Yeah, no question, Israel. And of course, uh, can we take a couple minutes to talk about your story because it's so inspiring. You grew up in Puerto Rico as the son of the head of the Communist Party in Puerto Rico, and uh, you 
loved, uh, you learned to hate the Leviathan, the United States of America, nevertheless came here, and I think went to the University of Southern Mississippi, if I'm not mistaken, and, yes. and uh, started your education. Uh, tell us what happened. Well, as you say, I was born into a communist household, you know. It's not one of those cafe latte iPhone communists in America, you know. Yeah. We were real communists. And, uh, and I was in my way, believe it or not, to Nicaragua, to Sandinista Nicaragua as a Jesuit to study philosophy, and that never happened. Uh, seven Jesuits were murdered in El Salvador in 1987. I left the seminary and ended at the University of Southern Mississippi, of all places. And that's when I begin to, to realize that, that there's, there was something different than what my father had taught us for 30 years, that, there, that, you know, that ideologies are like a prism through which we look at reality. And you and I can be looking at different things or see different things when we look at the same thing yeah. because we, we filter that through a different prism. And, and I had the opportunity to experience what freedom is, the, the value of the individual person, unique and unrepeatable, made in the image and likeness of God, that we have the capacity of self-realization, that every person is an engine of wealth creation, not a mouth to be fed and a problem to be solved. And that is what I learned in America. I rejected socialism. And as I reject socialism, I see some of you Americans embracing it. And I decided that there's, there's something wrong here. We need to challenge this this narrative. And that's what we have been doing now for 10 years. It must be very disappointing for you, having made the decision and the journey. I'm sure, did the light bulb go on one day and say, aha, you know, I, my, my belief in communists has been wrong all along, or was it a slow process? It was a small process, but there were certain... Highlights, for example, I had good grades at the university, and one day they called me to the, to the dean's office and offered me a full assistantship, paying me all my studies simply because I had done well in school, and, and I hated their guts, and they were rewarding me, you know. <laughs> and I said, this is not supposed to be happening, you know. I'm supposed to be hating America. And you are recognizing me as an individual. That that's so, was so powerful for me because as a communist, you see the, yourself as, as a drop in the great wave of revolution. You know, your life has no meaning apart from the wave. But I began to discover that, no, no, that's not true. And, and that I have, as an individual, dignity. Yeah. And the second thing that happened to me was that, that I began to see that what you call poverty in America was a joke. I said, just give me some of that. <laughs> <laughs> Compared with the poverty I was experiencing in Puerto Rico, this was not poverty. So I began to see that, I began to challenge my assumptions, and eventually I surrendered them. Eventually I picked up the books. You know, But it was that lived experience first. What motivated me yeah. to, to, to learn more about freedom. So it's such an inspiring uh, story, especially in the face of what's happening in America right now. It must yeah. be so disappointing to you to see how people are embracing what you actually have learned to do. To work against, and you're working now with young people, helping them to embrace the whole notion of uh, 
of uh, capitalism, of uh, free enterprise, one child at a time, one school at a time, and, and you're making great progress. I just, I just really want to underscore the importance of your work. I want our listeners, I wish we had more time, I want our listeners to please visit fvinstitute.org is the website. Uh, listen to Ishmael's uh, podcast on institutional racism, so fascinating as well. Ishmael, I just genuinely appreciate you coming on the show. I admire you so much. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you, Bob. My pleasure, indeed. Well, that's a wrap here on today's show. I hope you enjoyed it. I certainly had a good time. Always appreciate your feedback. You can send me an email at bobharden at hotmail.com, bobharden at hotmail.com. Tomorrow, we're going to visit with Bob Levy, the chairman of the Cato Institute. We'll continue our conversation about immigration reform, law, and policy. We'll visit with Andrew Joppa, a professor and also author of Josephus of Oz, and Larry Bell, endowed professor at the University of Houston. He also, his latest book, Cyber Warfare, Targeting America, Our Infrastructure, and he's just coming out with a new book, How Everything Happened, Including Us. I hope you make it a great day on the Paradise Coast or wherever you are. Namaste. Thanks so much for listening to the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. For more information and audio files of previous shows, visit www.bobharden.com.